Welcome to another episode of the Get Busy Building podcast. Today, we have Felix Leonhard as a guest. Felix is co-founder and managing director at Pure Food. And Pure Food stands for better food and better life. Their goal is to use consumerism to do good in the world. And they do so by producing and selling delicious, all natural food products. On top of that, they support development projects with a part of the revenue from every sold product. Felix is an investor in companies like Twain, Procuros, Your Super, and has studied at top tier universities around the globe. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have him on the show. We talked about things like fundraising, decision-making, reflection, tips for food founders. I'm 100% confident that you will be able to get some value out of this. Quick heads up, this has been one of the first episodes that we recorded and the audio is not ideal yet. So please bear with yeah, the not perfect audio. However, I'm 100% sure that the content will make up for it. Felix, great uh, to have you as a guest. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course. I would like to start with uh, just some context for the listeners. Can you uh, briefly tell us what are you doing with Pure Food and how did you get the idea for it? Uh, sure. Uh, we are a social consumer business, meaning that we create consumer goods and for and every product that we sell, we invest in a fixed amount in different development projects. And the whole idea started basically because I was frustrated by sort of the comparison between going into a supermarket in, in Germany and and living in, in Brazil and sort of seeing yeah how many shitty products we have in, in, in traditional Western supermarkets and how they're not contributing anything positive usually. It's usually, you know, plastic packaging, shitty supply chains, um, usually unhealthy, um, shitty ingredient lists. And it was just this moment of, of of saying okay this this kind of has to this has to change and not not being one to say okay and fuck the system but rather thinking about finding finding a way to change the system this has worked very well i know you've grown a lot uh, since inception and um and you've also been in the press and in the press i've read that you have or you were able to assemble a group of employees that is very strongly aligned on your mission. Um, you have a very, very strong culture around your values, around ownership, about identification with changing the food system. You, you give people free vacation and as, as much vacation as they want, and they actually work just as hard or even harder compared to companies where this is not the case. I'm curious how were you able to do this? How were you able to, to create a strong culture around your values? And, and do, did you maybe even uh, incorporate this in your hiring process? I think, I think the, it all starts with what you believe like humans to be like. <laughs> if, you, if you believe that humans are fundamentally good, um, if that's your starting point when you, when you create a company, then your culture will look very different from when you convince that humans cannot be trusted. And so I believe fundamentally that human people are good and that they want to be part of something bigger. And for me, it was really this, okay, what company would I want to join? And, and you know, if I didn't start my own company, where would I want to work? And 
I would always want to work somewhere where I could actually own a piece of the pie and, and, and contribute and have the freedom to, to bring in my own ideas and to really, really be a part of something that, that has an impact. And that's what Pure Food is about in a nutshell, right? It's, it's a group of people, we're a group of people that are really trying to, to have the biggest possible impact while also having lots of fun. And for me, it doesn't make any sense to then not share sort of the upside with the team. So the team is basically treated the same way I'm treated as a founder. And that means as a founder, of course, you worked a lot, but you can also work from wherever you want. You can work whenever you want. You don't have to ask anyone for permission if you want to take a vacation. All of these things are basically just the same way I treat myself. I treat my team. It has worked out well so far. And it's not for everyone clearly, because it's a very demanding culture and gives people a lot of responsibility. And that, um, of course, can also cause a lot of stress because, you know, there's no one to tell you it's okay if you take a vacation. You have to really, really make sure that you are well organized yourself. But yeah, it's, it's definitely part of a hiring process. Uh, we try to screen for people who are self-starters. We've tried to improve our hiring process over the years, and I think we've got pretty, pretty good at it. Um, but that's really, really key is finding people who, who want to be part of this kind of culture. Got it. Yeah. And I mean, judging by the, um, the frequency I see of products in stores, uh, supermarkets and wherever else, uh, it, it's obviously working quite well for you. you. You started to share some of your learnings as a founder on LinkedIn. And there were some quite interesting points that you addressed. First one being the topic of reflection reflection and documentation of decisions you mentioned that 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 it's extremely important to you to to reflect and document can you give us a little bit more context on how you approach this topic like how do you document and reflect your decision decisions because i think obviously your decisions as a founder is <laughs> some crucial for the future of the company so yeah that's probably a very important point so how, how do you how do you go about this this process For me personally, it's really a weekly process where Sundays, I've tried to move this to Fridays, but for some reason, I <laughs> my Fridays to fill up and then um, it, it comes back on a Sunday. So Sundays, I take an hour or so to think about how the week was and, and what I did well and what I want to improve upon. So it's really like just a weekly reflection to say, okay, what, um, what went well, what didn't go well. And then includes decisions and also you know if, if i if i sit down on sunday and reflect about what went badly then it usually comes back to some decision we took earlier as a company something that we did earlier and then you know it's shit it's the fan i don't know three months later or six months later so what we do as a company is we've gone to this decision making process where people write out their decision proposal basically the one person who's responsible for a decision writes out however long it needs to be but basically a short memo on this is the decision that i need to take these are the alternatives that i have um, or that we have as a company this is what i thought about and um, this is what i would do and and that's the basis for every major decision that we that we take and that is shared with whoever the person wants to share it with you know there's one folder where all of these are, are put so so everyone in the company can look at them but for example if a, if a head of product takes a product decision as just happened last week they write it out and then yeah he discussed it with three or four people 
and then basically just told everyone, hey, look, we took this decision. Here's the, here's the decision protocol. If you have questions, let me know. And this has, in my view, a couple of advantages. First of all, it, it really makes every decision, every major decision in the company transparent. And that really forces discipline on how you make decisions, on the quality of decisions. And secondly, as you, as you mentioned, you can go back and look at them. <laughs> you can say, okay, what did we fuck up? What did we get wrong? Um, because of course, every decision you make, you always try to make the best decision at the time of, of that decision. But you, know, you rarely take the time, um, or at least I didn't before we introduced this, to really look back and say, okay, what did we do wrong? And sometimes, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, sometimes the decisions are, are the right ones, even though the outcome is, is wrong. You know, you always deal with likelihoods and probabilities. This is actually something I introduced recently is that I want probability estimates on, on decisions that we take. What do you think how likely this decision will be, will be the right one, that this path will actually happen the way we want it to happen? I think that's a big one in regards to the probability estimates because it just forces so much clarity into your thinking. You have to be clear in order to, or like just a lot more clearer than just suggesting some random action. So I think that's amazing. I also totally feel you on things you scheduled for Friday afternoon moving to Sunday. So I can relate very well to that one. You mentioned, you mentioned fuck-ups. I mean, fuck-ups are meant to happen as an entrepreneur. This is going to happen. Some things will go wrong. And sometimes you make the right decision with the, uh, that doesn't lead to the ideal outcome, but sometimes maybe you also take the wrong decision. Do you have a process on how to take the most value out of these these situations or maybe not process, maybe just a mindset because in the moment it's probably very hard to deal with them. But uh, after you've gone through a couple of these instances, yeah, you maybe you just get better in dealing with them. So, so how do you deal with um, decisions that don't lead to the ideal outcome and maybe that were even incorrect looking back? I think this is, this is the one strength that I have as a founder. I don't think I, I, I'm, I'm particularly good at, at many things, but I think this is the one reason that Pure Food still exists and is growing because, you know, I started the company now close to eight years ago and, and we um, had quite a, quite a lot of setbacks in the, in the beginning and, and, and to this day. And, and this is really the one, one area where I, I'm, I'm a bad person to give advice on because it kind of comes naturally to me to just not care about whether something went wrong, but more care about, okay, what do we learn about it? Like, what do we learn from it? And what's the next step? So usually that's my sort of two questions that I always have is, okay, what do we learn and what's the next step? And it's frustrating to my team because I'm, I'm quite quick at like moving on. It's like, okay, that's, that's done. What's the, like, what do we learn? What's the next step? And, you know, sometimes it can be important to, have this more frustration and say, oh, this is really shitty. This is, you know, I have this kind of, like have a couple of minutes where you're just angry at what happened. And I usually don't, don't, yeah, I usually, that usually doesn't happen to me. So it's something I've learned about myself. I think that's a very, very valuable trait to have. And it's probably even more valuable in the context of fundraising. Uh, you, you mentioned fundraising in your, in your LinkedIn posts. And you mentioned um, that you were able to leverage your network quite well. I think especially for first-time founders, fundraising is, is a big topic. And also in later stages, it's, it's not something that founders are 
always super comfortable with or familiar with because you do it once and then you move on to the business. Looking back now, what were some best practices that you applied when you were fundraising and, and leveraging your network? How was, how was yeah. your philosophy in that? I think the, there's an old saying that if you ask for uh, money, you get advice. And if you ask for advice, you get money. <laughs> I think it's true. <laughs> um, at least in my experience, it has been true. So when I first started the company, I didn't really have a network. And I think that's why um, what's the biggest issue for first-time founders is you really don't know anyone. And, and when I started eight years ago, there was really the startup scene in Germany was a lot smaller. Um, there was no food startup scene at all. So there's no money in our space. There were no food VCs in Germany. And, and so we really were dependent on finding people who are non-conventional investors in a sense. And so we just sent out our pitch deck to, to anyone that we knew and basically said, hey, do you have feedback for us? And then it kind of snowballed people forwarding the pitch deck and saying, hey, what these guys are doing is interesting. What do you think? And so it kind of kind of built on, on top of this. And then once I got the first angel to commit, like I was like, okay, I'm happy with like your commitment, but what I really need from you is lots of introductions. <laughs> um, and that really that really worked worked a lot. And I think the for me, the, the, the other thing that worked is my alumni network from my university, which yeah. I was lucky to have. Um, not a lot of universities have a strong alumni network in Germany, um, but I studied in Paris and, and the, my university had quite a strong one or has quite a strong one. And, and that really helped. And that's basically half of our funding came from business angels out of my alumni network. Wow. In the beginning. Yeah. So let's say you got... You received the first angel commitment, maybe even more. In that context, you obviously have to talk about valuation as well. And I'd like to ask a question where I think there's no right or wrong answer. There's no black and white um, in this context. But how do you go about finding the right valuation? You mentioned in your LinkedIn post, it should be a reasonable, reasonable valuation, um, <laughs> which, yeah, which I think this is so hard to get right, especially as a founder, because uh, you as a founder, you're in your business all day and, and you talk to VCs who have full transparency of the market or like very high transparency. So, so, and it also feels like you have one shot right? You can't go like, okay, evaluation is 10. And then the MC says no and say, okay, okay, then it's eight. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. uh, you can't fluctuate too much. So you have to be right at the beginning. So what were your learnings there? Yeah, my, my approach um, there um, was really to be very honest about it in the beginning and basically say, look, I don't care about evaluation as much as I care about having the right investors. And that was always my first sentence. <laughs> and then mm. I would say, and I think the valuation or reasonable valuation is whatever, 10 million. And so um, it basically always helped me to say upfront, like, I don't really care about this number. I care about building a great company and having the right partners. And if you're in, it's for me, it's not gonna, like the valuation is not gonna kill this deal if everything else is, is aligned. And that's sort of leaving that back door open in a way. Um, always worked out well because then you could get into a dialogue where someone said, well, I think your valuation is too too high. I think it's too low. I think it's, you know, sort of not going in with 
the valuation has to be xyz is more saying like look this is this what i've seen in the market but you know the market better um you can tell me what's reasonable i mean if we if someone invests in your company they they should become a partner and so it's good to start an investment process working together and that's a good good example um of whether someone is actually the test of investors as well how they treat this issue there are some some investors who are very very driven by valuation and in my experience that those have usually not worked out that far of course in the end they will every good investor will negotiate very hard on valuation but yeah it's the least important part of of a financing round got it yeah, i think that flexibility is super smart to 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 build that in um since we don't have that much time any time anymore i want to jump to another one uh, another topic that you address which is governance And I think yes. that's that's also a big topic for you. Way too many points to address. Let's start with negotiating your terms. Thinking of a first-time founder has commitments in place from angels, angels and VCs, and now it's about the nitty-gritty. So looking back, how how would you go about this negotiation yeah. process? And yeah, what were some learnings there, maybe? I think the what was really interesting to me is that there's still no best practice in in Germany. And this is something that I will likely in my free time at some point I will try to set up like a this is the this is the template that you should use as a founder because I I think that some VC firms have like provided templates but those are from VC firms <laughs> 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 not necessarily um, in the founder's interest so I think I think it's important to to create your own contract and your own governance it's more expensive. Because a lot of VCs have like, here's our contract, take it and, and be happy with it. And I think it's smart um, because usually what you have is you have like a seed run with a couple of androids or convertible with a couple of androids. And then sometimes later the VC comes in in a series A. And I think it's really, really smart to set up a very good governance structure in the beginning by yourself when you still have you know, only a couple of angels invested who maybe are friends of friends or your friends. Because then... Anyone who comes in afterwards, you can basically say, okay, look, here's our shareholders agreement. It already has everything it needs. We can save some money and we don't need to like redo the whole thing. And so then they have to negotiate from what you already have put in place. And that's, I think that's strategically the one thing top of my mind. I would put in investing as a founder um, because it also protects you against co-founders leaving. I think that's very, that's clearly important. I would really sweat the details um, about who can do what when. I think the one thing that comes to mind is allowing everything to be done via written form in Germany, mm. basically determining that the written form of voting is the standard form, which is most lawyers will think this is, this is not the right way to do it. But if you take a shareholder vote in Germany, it's usually it has to be in person. And if everybody agrees to take it like via a PDF sent around via email, then that's fine. But if someone doesn't agree to the, to the change of the form, like it being written rather than in person, and then it's not valid. And that can really be a pain. And regarding vesting, how aggressive do you think should founders be in negotiating about this point? Um, I mean, obviously you have to acknowledge that there will have to be some vesting if you raise from professional investors. At the same time, you're the founder, you're like, no, this is my company and, and you know, all that. I don't want to like have to, to wait so long for it to get to vest. So, so how, how would you advise someone like doing this the first time? How aggressive should they be? Yeah, 
I would, funnily enough, I think because I, I had a lot of co-founders and we also had some issues with, with co-founders not wanting to leave and all of this. So I, to be honest, think investing is wonderful. And I would um, say to a founder, like, give the VC, like, everything they want on the vesting part, but make sure you have a good lever clause that is watertight. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's really the, like, I would say, okay, I want to build this company for five years. Let's put in a five-year vesting. I don't care. Mm. But if like there's a good lever clause, then maybe be aggressive and say if there's a good lever clause, there's a put option in place with like a certain valuation already. That if you disagree with your investor on like if your investor wants to wants to fire you at some point, then you can basically just put your shares at a good price. Something like this. Because it also helps you with your co-founders, you know. That's that's something that where if, if you have a clear vesting rule in place, then you don't have to negotiate when someone wants to leave the company because of some personal reason or any of this. Yeah. So it gives a lot of clarity. Did you also use convertible loans actually? Uh, or like yeah. what's your view on convertibles? Yeah. And also there, like how, how do you think about cap and discount? Did you like use some standard like, yeah, how do you think about these these variables? Like, how, how did you find your cap and discount? And by the way, we can we can cut all this out if you want to later. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, uh, no, I don't, I don't mind. I don't think I, I'm allowed legally to do into specifics, but I can maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, talk about how I think about it. Yeah. Um, I I've never signed, or I can say this: I've never signed a convertible with a cap. Um, mm. Even though I have investors who say that they would never sign a convertible that does not have a cap. <laughs> so, Good negotiating so, skills, I would say. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I, I would, I would try to try to always um, take the cap out, not only from a founder's perspective, also from an investor's perspective, because it creates. Uh, this is going to be a bit more nerdy than I guess, um, <laughs> but but let's go there. Let's go. If you have a cap on a convertible, you have a principal agent problem because now an investor has a different interest than you as a fund. Mm. Because if the, the cap is too high, basically basically the investor then all of a sudden has an interest that you don't fundraise um, at a high valuation if the cap is set too high. Because then they, their price increases quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, it's a bit of a, I think convertible is a very, very handy document. It's very practical to do. But if you can go to a straight equity round, I would always prefer that, to be honest. Awesome. Regarding discount, just general thoughts before we close, wrap it up. Um, discount, uh, uh, like standard. Depends on how desperate you are. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, okay. it's true. If you, if you really need the money, then, then it's a 25% discount. <laughs> if, you're, if you're in a strong situation, then it's a 10% discount. 10%, yeah. Okay. It's, it's, I think anything less than 10% doesn't really make yeah. sense because then you can just go straight equity. Yeah. Um, I think... 25% is a lot. Yeah. Um, so anything in between those two is probably reasonable. But again, it depends on the cap. If you don't have a cap, then a 25% discount might be better for you as a founder. Oh, good point. Because then you can say, look, if you, very good let's point. say, let's play this through. Let's say you fundraise and you think you can fundraise at a, at a 20 million valuation, um, but you can't really close it now and you see, but you have commitments for a convertible. If you get a convertible with like a 10 million cap and a 10% discount, that's a lot more dilution than if you get a 25% discount Yeah. and then close the financing round at 20 million 12 months later. Smart. Good stuff. Felix, what's, uh, what's next for you? 
what can I imagine um, to, what can I expect to hear from Pure Food, from, from all your sub brands? Uh, what, what's what is top of mind for you for the future and for, for your company? Uh, yeah, for Pure Food, it's really scaling in Germany and Austria. Um, we still, still have lots of potential in, in our existing categories, but also in, in new ones. So for us, it's really just executing on, on our strategy, building our brands, building brand awareness, and yeah, continuing to, to show that plant-based and social impact products can, can be successful in, in retail. That's really, really core focus for, for Pure Food. Awesome. Maybe one final tip of advice that you would give to a food founder um, starting out. I know it's a broad question, but no, uh, I think it's come, yeah, it comes I think, to mind. I think it's the same advice I would give any founder is really, really making sure that consumers love your product before scaling. It's really making sure that you have the right product and product market fit before um, investing a lot of money in building distribution or building your brand. Um, you can very cheaply validate whether your product is, is, is working well. And I would, I would spend a lot of time on this and before doing anything else. Well, and that, again, must have worked pretty well for you because I have to say that your products taste freaking tasty. So congrats on that. Felix, it was great to talk to you. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for being on the show. Hopefully speak soon. Thank you so much. It was, it was my pleasure. Wow. Thanks, Felix, for sharing all these insights with us. This has been super value-packed. And to all the listeners who haven't tried Pure Food products, please make sure to do so. You don't know what you're missing. They're absolutely amazing. You will love them. And to everyone who's thinking about starting a company but doesn't yet know what or with whom they want to start, I might have the perfect setup for you. I have started a community called Founding Ideas. And in this community, I bring together experienced high performers who all want to start something new. Some of them are serial entrepreneurs who have scaled businesses and exited them. Some of them come from high-performing work environments like consulting and so on. Some of them are senior operators from top-tier startups who are thinking about their next move. And I bring them all together to ideate together, to work on their ventures together, and to learn from each other's experiences. And this has even led to a few successful ventures who have ended up raising from VCs like 468 Capital, Hustle Fund, GFC, and many, many, many more. It's been absolutely crazy and nuts to see the success of some of the people who have been part of this program. And I haven't even started making this thing big. So I really look forward to who else is going to join and what is going to come out of it. I hope one of these ventures will be started by you. Please reach out to me on ari at getbusybuilding.com to learn more or go to www.foundingideas.com. I look forward to seeing you there. See you soon.